Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has given us the gospel of your Son through the apostles, and who saves all who believe in him. The gospel according to the apostles. May be seated. Well, we enter into a new series with me, actually, um, the book of Ruth. I chose this book uh, because I wanted to go through another book, per se, as I was talking with Darissa last week at lunch. Um, I went through one when I first started, Philemon. That was really quick and short and brief. And um, I wanted to go through another one that I pretty much knew fairly well, yet um, was shorter as well. And uh, Dr. Stokes would allow me to do a series. Uh, and it would help me to keep building what I need in my repertoire, if you will, for preaching and teaching the gospel <coughs> and the word of God. So I chose Ruth because I'm very familiar, as most of us in the church are familiar with Ruth. But when I finally started to get down to reading the rabbis and the church fathers, I began to realize I didn't know half of what I really thought. It's like being in a, a program of education. The more you get to know, the less you feel like you know about what the scripture really has there for you. <clears throat> so I'm hoping today within this first chapter of Ruth to give you guys the knowledge that has come to me through my studies of the, these passages. So let us go to uh, chapter 1, verse 1 in Ruth. It says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Ju Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Let's stop right there and um, look at these, just these really short passages. Because really, you know, when Boaz was here, he was saying that they, the Jewish mindset and the Jewish way of studying is to take passages and really dissect them and look at them in a, a way that would allow you to know more about what's being set up. So let's look at this for Ruth here. We know, because we've read the whole book of Ruth, that she is the great-grandmother of King David. So we know it's before David even was, and we know it's after the Exodus. So it's during this time period that Ruth is taking place. So we're setting up here, um, just trying to set the basis for this book of Ruth and where she was in the time period. Why did this, this passage in verse 1, why did this family journey from the promised land outside the promised land? And it was because there was a famine during the time. And it looks like Elimelech wasn't able to provide for his family. So he gathered his family and they were headed where he thought he could provide for them. And he did for a period of time. This actually made me think of the stories that I hear from my grandfather back in the Dust Bowl days, when his family, my, my relatives, went from Oklahoma to California because they couldn't farm anymore 
in the city of uh, one of the cities in Oklahoma. So they basically picked up, came out here to the Bakersfield area and made that little Oklahoma. That's what we call it with the family and everybody out there is uh, all Okies basically. So I tease him and say that's Bakersfield's a promised land and Dr. Stokes rebuts that every time, but that's okay. But the interesting thing here is it says that Elimelech and his family remained there. I caught that and I started thinking, what what does that mean? And I started to dissect it. And we'll read on in a few more uh, passages quickly. They remained there. Probably meant that God had actually blessed the land again in the promised land. But they still remained there. They had set their house there. They were raising their families there. Even though they may have been able to return, which we see Naomi returning after the loss of her husband and children. Going on to verse 3, it says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Something horrible must have happened. Obviously, whether it was some type of disease or an accident, she was left with just her two sons in a land that wasn't always that familiar. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. I don't know if they'd already been there ten years, but apparently they were there for ten years, whether it was married or it was a total of ten when Elimelech brought them in. Now, the interesting thing is here, I started to look at the lineage of Ruth and the the scriptures and the patterns because in the scriptures you actually see how uh, names go from oldest to youngest. So if we're paying attention here, obviously it was Malon and Chulion, which means those two. Malon must have been married to Orpah. Chulion was married to Ruth. I was also thinking about the pattern of Scripture and what it says. The oldest usually gets a double inheritance. But what does God do? Within his pattern, the youngest is the one that's blessed. What happens here? Orpah is married to the oldest. And Ruth is one married to the youngest. And we see how God continues to protect her and utilize her in his ways through this tragedy as we read on. It picks up here in verse 6 or 5. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman, that is Naomi, was bereft of her two children and her husband. So she had left the promised land, Judah, the same lineage of Jesus, and traveled into not the promised land, but Moab. And she lost her relatives who she had journeyed there with. And she was left with her two daughter-in-laws. So it goes on, it says, So she departed from the place where she was. Wait, picking back up in 6. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the land of Moab. 
For she had heard in the land of Moab that she, the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she had heard that they're being taken care of. And basically where she was, I would imagine she didn't have any relatives except for her daughter-in-law's families. And most of the time, the daughter-in-laws usually went to live with the husbands. So they didn't have anybody. It was just the three women. So they, they were, she was thinking, I'll go back to the promised land. They're being blessed again. There's no more famine there. And yet, um, that's where she was. I would imagine she was distressed. I would be if I lost. We all are when we're in grief. And she had lost her husband and her two sons. She must have been grieving very harshly and wanting to, the comfort, if you think about it, of relatives that may have been back in the land or were back there. It's where she was recognized in, later in the same chapter. So, it says, So she departed from the place where she was in Moab and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So she had journeyed from Judah to Moab, and she was heading back with her daughter-in-laws. And, you know, women really do think things through a lot of times. And she was probably journeying, thinking, I left the land that I knew, and I left the people that I knew to come here with my husband and my family. And yet, now they're willing to come, but what right do I have to bring them to a strange land? So it goes on here. It says in verse 8, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So she's giving them the option, although they've journeyed a little way out of Moab, to return back to their homeland. The rabbis say that Naomi was testing them to see if they had a true faith. I thought that was interesting because she's giving them the option. And if you don't have the, the calling or the desire to return to a land that really you're not even familiar with, you're probably going to return back to your home. So, verse 9 says, May the Lord grant, she blesses them, May the Lord grant that you find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So, she blesses them pretty much with like an ironic blessing, and wants to send them on their way. Giving them a blessing of, Go back and get married. Telling them, I hope you're blessed in your husband's house. Because her two sons were gone. And it says there that they wept and cried out. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. For I said, I have hope. If I should even have a husband tonight and also bear a son, 
Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. That is a statue within the Torah portions that she's referring to. So if you'll turn to Deuteronomy 25, we'll start to look at these. Naomi's giving them an option and saying, why she's saying this is because God sets up a parameter that actually cares for the widow, for the one that lost her husband, to carry on his name after the husband has passed, passed away. So let's take a closer look at this. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10 says, When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brothers shall go in to her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother, so that it, his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to establish the name of his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. This is going to come out later on, as we know, in the passages of Ruth. But I want you to understand, this wasn't to control the woman. This was to care for her. God set this up to really care for the woman in this situation. I know society, I read some articles about this. Society sees this as a a type of possession for the family, but it really wasn't. It was to care for this woman and love her and make sure that something could carry on. You see, if she already had a son or a child, the the brother wouldn't have to do anything. But what, what's the instinct of the mother at that point with they, if they do have a child? is to care for them. There's companionship, even with the daughter or son. So God is saying, you carry this on in your, in, for your brother in your own home if he's passed. Let, let's look in a, at, a, at an example, which is in Genesis 38. We see this as far as with Judah and his family. <clears throat> doesn't work out too well for a brother that doesn't do what God told him to do. And in Genesis 38, 6 through 10, which will also come up later because of the lineage of David, it says, Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, And her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife. Perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her. And raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order to not get to give offspring to his brother. But he did what was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. 
We see it here. God said to go do this. You better go do this. If you, and in this instance, God took his life because he did not follow God's instruction. So I wanted to show you the statue of where God cares for them and where Naomi's saying, if I actually have children in my womb today, would you really wait 20 to 25 years? Or even 14 to 16? No, you guys go back to your homes. And we see Naomi going on and telling them, this is up to you if you want to stay. Now, let's go back to Ruth, if you will. And as I said, Orpah returns to her family, but yet Ruth actually uh, stays with her. Let me just pick back up in 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again after Naomi blessed them. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Basically said, thank you. I love you. You've meant the world to me. I'm going back to what's familiar to me. But what's it say? It says, but Ruth clung to her. Why? If we sit here and think about just that one piece before we read on, because what I want to do is explore what I learned through this, because it will be that much, that much more rich to what she has to say. Why did she not return, but she clung to her mother-in-law? Let's first look where Ruth and the Moabite people came from. Turn to Genesis eleven twenty-seven. This is going to show you the lineage of the Moabite people. If you recall correctly, um, Lot, the, Lot the, so the Moabite people come from Lot. So let's see that in Scripture. In 11.27 in Genesis, it says, Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, which is later Abraham, Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Okay? So, right there, we have the lineage. Out of those three brothers, there was only one that actually entered into the promise of the Lord in the Abraham covenant. That was Abraham and all his descendants after him. But during this time period, Lot was journeying with his uncle and coming alongside him. Right? This whole time as they journeyed in a land that they weren't familiar with, Lot was actually following in the ways of Abraham, doing things until Lot's family got so big that they had a disruption in their family. And Abraham gave him the choice. We got to split, getting too big to care for two families. But during that time, while they were still together, if you'll turn over to Genesis 19... They were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happens there is the destruction, right? So, it picks up right there in this passage to show where Moab was born. So, Genesis 19, 30-38. Lot went up from Zoar, Zor and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zor. And he stayed in a cave, and he and his two daughters. 
Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. Listen, don't we all try to help God in some way? These women were alongside, obviously, with Lot and Abraham and learning those ways. But they're saying, we just saw the destruction of the world, and we've got to help God pre-populate again, or populate. So they take it upon themselves to do it. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And I I can't imagine that. They got him so drunk he passed out, he didn't even know he had sex with them. I've heard stories of passing out, but okay. It's in the scripture. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The first bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. We have the lineage and where it started for the Moabite people. Hold on one second. I forgot a a map back here. Can you still hear me? Maybe a little bit? Okay. That's how it works with our prayers, right? We hope we hear God that way. So, we have Moab... And we have Ammon right here, as those passages say. They're together. They're brothers. So, obviously, we can see how close they were because the promised land is right across the sea. I just wanted to bring that in to give you guys a little map and understanding of where they had journeyed, where Moab and Ammon were so close Just like Lot was one step away of being God's chosen. But he wasn't. Now, did they get along in the past? Let's look even further into uh, the history of the Moabite people and God's chosen people. You'll have to turn with me here to, uh, is it, yes, Numbers 22. We see here that that it's not that great between the two. Let me share with you, as I start to explore the kings of Moab, I looked at the church fathers and I looked at the uh, rabbis. They were both in agreement. The lineage of Ruth is royalty. Could she have went back to royalty? That was another question that I keep struggling with now. So, but her lineage, her great, great, wait, I got it here. 
her great 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 four greats grandfather was King Balak in in that book of the kings is what they referred to so numbers 22 1 through 6 says then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho now Balak the son of Zippor saw all Israel had done to the Amorites so God's blessing them taking over the territory of the promised land so Moab was in great fear because of the people for they were numerous and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel Moab this was right after the exodus as they entered into the promised land Moab said to the elders of Midian now this horde will lick up all that is around us and the ox licks up the grass of the field and Balak the son of Zippor was king Moab at that time so he sent messengers to Balaam Balaam is a prophet for Israel <clears throat> it looks like he he could be a hired hand um because we'll see here the son of Beor at the Pethor which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people to call him saying behold a people came out of Egypt behold they cover the surface of the land and they are living opposite me now therefore please come curse please come curse this people for me since they are too mighty for me perhaps i may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land for i know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed we know as we read on that balon is the one that talks to the jackass or the donkey right in this instance but he is a prophet who was asked to come by one of Ruth's grandparents to curse Israel i thought it was interesting that he's calling a prophet of Israel to curse the same people you can read on i love that uh story so you can read on there and see what happens cuz he does go ahead and talk to an animal and the animal talks back to him so we have here Ruth's lineage where Moab started from with Lot we also have the piece where one of her great grandfathers is asking the cursing they're just not getting along the israelites and moabites don't get along throughout history Actually Ruth grew up in like I said within royalty and her grandfather was uh the king was a king during that time let's see uh her grandfather was king Eglon during Ruth's upbringing if I read correctly from the rabbis so she was born and raised with privilege Could she return and if so was she truly seeking the living God because they would worship idols in Moab the one from her people so she must have either made a choice when she married Chilion or she was making a choice to move ahead with with Naomi at this point amazingly i would also think that the moabite women would look different and if there was this confrontation she was taking a big risk continuing on with her into judea <clears throat> but she did so this 
Ruth's uh, words mean even more once I studied this and understood it. So back in Ruth, picking up in 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me or worse, if anything but death parts you and me. She possibly could have went back to royalty. But Chi Leong, I would think her husband had taught her and showed her that we worship the one true God. And she took that for herself and made it her own. And she was just telling Naomi, I'm not leaving you, I'm clinging. I've already clung to your son. I've taken care of you this point. I'm continuing to follow the living God. <clears throat> She's probably stubborn too, by the way, because of this. It says, when she, Naomi, saw that she, that's Ruth, was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. She wasn't trying to turn her aside. Also, think about this. As the rabbis were telling me in the books, if she was testing them, think about the burden that would have been left on her if one of them didn't want to be. So the one went back. The burden's gone. She's back with her family. But Ruth is just going to bless her because she wants to go. <clears throat> so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And they had come to Bethlehem All the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? They entered the land that she had come from, and people still recognized her. She wanted to go back to where she could possibly be comforted. And we see her here being recognized before she even says anything. And... Things are being stirred. They're being talked about. Think about it. I'm sure they looked a little bit unfamiliar as far as maybe what they dressed like or whatever it is because different regions dress differently. We definitely go back to the East Coast. We definitely look like we're from California, right? But the And I'm sure the Moabites looked a little bit different. And it goes on to say, She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara definitely means bitter. And Naomi means pleasant, beautiful, agreeable. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi and with Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I love this, because Ruth chose to come alongside Naomi and align herself with the people of Israel. The church needs to understand they're not creating something different, but just like Ruth, we're to come alongside and understand That's what we do here at the Disciple Center. That's why we know at the beginning of barley harvest what happens. It's Passover, 
and they start celebrating the counting of the Omer. So I'm very blessed to start this today as we celebrate the last counting of the Omer Sabbath in our congregation for this season. Let us go to the Lord.